0: do you believe you can live a pain-free vital life do you want to step back into your power and share your gifts with the world are you ready to make a commitment to you
1: it's time to reclaim your inheritance as a self-healer welcome to the nature of healing
0: hello healers i'm roseanne this podcast is all about working with nature to rediscover and realign ourselves so that we all evolve as humanity. And we don't do that alone. We do that by connecting with what nature offers us in its many forms, including the plants, the mushrooms, and their medicines. Today, I have a woman I met at an herbalist talk about a year ago, and her talk was called For the Love of Mushrooms. Since then, I keep running into her. And since I use mushrooms, I use chaga tea and mushroom extracts medicinally for myself and in my practice, I thought I'd share her with all of you. Ingrid West and her husband are owners of Misty Dawn Farm, a log-grown shiitake mushroom farm located in Stoughton, Wisconsin. Their mushrooms are grown on logs sustainably harvested from their forests as part of their forest improvement plant. Ingrid West started Misty Dawn Farm in 2014 in response to the managed forest law program that required that their woods in Vernon County be harvested. Their forests are managed for watershed protection, wildlife enhancement, and biodiversity, so the trees they do harvest are carefully selected and harvested with care. Welcome, Ingrid, to the Nature of Healing podcast.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I really am excited to uh, share my love of mushrooms with your um, listeners.
0: I'm excited, too. First off, how did you become interested in mycelium and this unseen world under our feet?
1: Well, I... Before I retired, I worked for uh, Cooperative Extension, and I had to do a class on soil health. And one of the things I learned was that um, mycelium, um, the structures of the mushroom, are um, under our feet and are an important part of the biology of healthy soil. So I got interested in it from that perspective, and then, as you mentioned in the introduction, I also, um, we have land, and we had to do a harvest of our trees, and rather than waste the tops of the trees and let them just um, decompose, I wanted to do something sustainable with those, and so my husband and I did some research, and I learned a lot about log-grown shiitake mushrooms, and so that's how we got involved, and it's been a Oh, a wonderful learning experience for me. I'm not a mycologist. I'm um, a biologist. I have my degree in fisheries, actually. And I got really excited about this whole new area of, um, of biology. So that's how I got involved.
0: It seems that whenever I ask that question of my guest, how did you get involved? The answer is always that their interest found them. It's as if the mushrooms called to you for some greater purpose and connection. So why don't you go ahead and start us off? Where do we begin?
1: Okay, thanks. Um, Well, basically, I wanted to start with this idea of being a mycophile versus a microphobe. And I wanted to just say I hope by the end of this talk that if there's anybody listening that has a phobia about mushrooms or doesn't like them, that they will have changed their attitude. So that's my goal for the talk today. Um, I'm hoping that uh, we're going to have a lot more people just Become mycophiles, and people who are interested in mushrooms just become more and more and more fascinated by them because there's so much that um, mushrooms offer us. And so, in my talk today, I'm going to talk a lot about all these different things that mushrooms offer. So, the first thing I'm going to do is talk a little bit about uh, the ecology of mushrooms. And I wanted to just say that you know, of the the three main kingdoms of mushroom of um, that we have on our planet, the animals, the plant, and the fungi. Uh, fungi are one of the biggest. Um, there are about one and a half million species of mushrooms. And most people, um, when they think of mushrooms, you know, they think about the button mushrooms, they might think about portabellas, they might have a few, you know, a repertory of maybe 10 mushrooms that they know. So it's it's an area that I feel we have only begun to scratch the surface on. And there's so much that um, you know the trajectory of, of learning more about mushrooms is just infinite, so so I just wanted to highlight that um, the other thing about mushrooms there's a couple of major groups of mushrooms and um, and the one that um, you know the mycorrhizal those are the ones that are primarily living under the ground um, they are um, Mostly living in conjunction with trees, um, and they're the ones that um, you know we don't see a lot of. The um, but the mycorrhizal fungi is also the part of the mushroom that uh, that lives. Um, you know, totally. Without us really realizing that every time we take a step, we're stepping on mycorrhizal fungi, Um, the thing that we see is basically the fruit of the mushroom, Um, and that's what the mushroom is called, you know, it's the fruit. Just like an apple tree has the apples that we eat, we eat the mushroom, Um, but the mycorrhizal fungi is sort of that invisible part that lives, you know, until the conditions are right and um, the fruits come out. There's also parasitic fungi, which when, we, when we're going to talk later on about cordyceps and things, those are the things that will uh, kill something. And then we have these other ones that are saprophytic, which are the decomposers, and the symbiotes, which are the lichens, um, and those have a relationship with the algae and the fungi living together. So those are sort of the four main groups of of mushrooms that all, all mushrooms will fall under. You know, and I'm using the word mushroom just because that's the one that most people are familiar with. But again, that's just basically the fruit. Um, That's the sexually reproduced part that, you know, where the spores come out and those are the where, you know, they're going to, um, you know, send out their, their young, basically.
0: This might be a good time to describe the life cycle of a mushroom. Would you? Would you do that?
1: Sure. Um, So basically, um, the fruit of the mushroom is where the spores come out. So a lot of times underneath, if you really take a look at mushrooms, you'll see uh, gills or pores or some other type of um, structure on the mushroom. And then when uh, conditions are right, they release uh, the spores. Just like in human beings, um, where there's a positive and a negative, um, or a male or female, they come together and they create the hypha, The hypha then creates the mycelium, which will grow and um, and uh, colonize the soil. When conditions are right, they produce a primordia, which is just a you know the beginning stages of a mushroom. And then, as the mushroom grows and matures, you know that's what we see uh, coming out.
0: You know, this reminds me. I recall something from your presentation: how mushrooms are a lot like humans. Can you share?
1: Well, basically, um, one of the things that, you know, I like about mushrooms is that they are basically a mushroom is produces enzymes and and its food externally. And we produce enzymes internally. So we're basically a mushroom turned inside out, basically. Ah. So that was that was I'm not sure if that's what you were referring to or not.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So, and that's why, one of the reasons that mushrooms are so um, well adapted to healing us. We are so close. We are more closely related to um, fungi and mushrooms than we are to uh, plants. So, um, who knows where, you know, in the evolution of, you know, the by millions of years of, of evolution if we didn't actually come from more so than than um other things as i mentioned before the uh the mycorrhizal fungi are living in our soil and so and one of the reasons that i got into the um, interest in mushrooms was because of the um the relationship of, of them in the soil, so they are really um, one of our true um, nature's recyclers. They uh, break down a lot of things, as I mentioned earlier. There's a couple of different groups, and that saprophytic group are the decomposers. So a lot of us eat button mushrooms, and button mushrooms grow on compost, um, but Uh, I grow shiitake mushrooms, and shiitake mushrooms are breaking down the cellulose in trees. So they are a decomposer of uh, wood fiber. So one of the things that in, in the soil is that along with bacteria, they are one of the main decomposers that really recycles our our nutrients uh, for um, trees and plants and other things to um, absorb um, those nutrients. One of the other interesting things, and I won't be going into that in this talk, is that fungi also break down toxic chemicals, pesticides, and radioactive molecules. So from the standpoint of healing our earth, they are um, a wonderful healer as well. One of the things that I found that I really thought was a wonderful graphic, and you can probably Google this on um, National Geographic. They put together um, a little diagram about how trees talk to each other through the mycorrhizal net. So mycorrhizal fungi are basically the Earth's original internet. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a tree will have mycorrhizal fungi on their uh, roots, which creates a um, bigger surface area for trees. Um, They also break down the minerals in the soil, which they then allow the tree to absorb um, into their um, system. And the tree will um, then feed the mycorrhizal net with um, sugars. So it's a really uh, complex way that um, plants and and fungi communicate. Also, what's wonderful about this is that the mycorrhizal net can also allow the trees to send those sugars to their young. They can also use that mycorrhizal net to uh, warn other trees about um, pest and and, uh, disease infestations so that other trees and plants can then Help themselves to uh, combat what 's coming, so it 's a really interesting system that we really don 't know very much about, and we 're only now in you know our um, human evolution starting to look at these things and really understand the importance of our planet and how complex our planet really is but the the main thing about the mycorrhizal um, interrelationship to these plants is what kind of has made us more aware of how these fungi um, can actually help us as humans um, with their enzymes and polysaccharides and things that they um, emit are actually the medicinal properties that we can use. The other thing that makes them so... um, so amazing is that um, these fungi will um, can attack pathogens and so one of the things that I call it sort of the war you know many people are sort of aware of the um, war of the worlds kind of a thing where you know there's there's you know this tension between you know different um, organisms and one of the things about the mycorrhizal fungi is that they will, um, fi- as they're moving through our soils, or um, they will emit enzymes and polysaccharides and also um, peroxides. And so they sterilize the area in front of them. And when you have two mushrooms that meet, two different species of mushrooms, they will sort of have this tension and this um, Sort of this war between the two of them, and the more aggressive mushroom will obviously win, so one of the things from my perspective as a grower is I want to make sure that my logs are are kept you know relatively clean i don't st- i don't store them on the ground because other mushrooms that are more aggressive will actually infiltrate that log before I will have um, inoculated it with the shiitake. So one of the things that um, we'll find is that turkey tail, which is a mushroom that we see and that we really love because it has anti-cancer properties, uh, will colonize that that log if it's left um, in nature. And you know, so it's important for us because we want the shiitake mushrooms to grow, is that we protect it against the more aggressive uh, type of mushroom. So one of the things that we'll talk about a little bit later is that um, what makes the turkey tail such a wonderful um, anti-cancer um, mushroom for, especially for breast cancer. Uh, so that's one of the things that, uh, you know, we have to be really conscious of, but in nature, this is constantly going on under our feet. And, and, you know, so it's a kind of a war of the fungi is the way I like to call it. Um, that
0: is so enlightening. And yet in our bodies,
1: these warrior mushrooms are life
0: giving because they're doing the same things they're doing in the soil.
1: Yes. Well, and that's because we are so closely related. Like I mentioned before, we're basically a mushroom that's turned inside out. Really, the mushrooms actually are very um, healing to us. And we have a, you know, evolved sort of alongside of mushrooms. Of course, there are some mushrooms you do have to be careful of. There are a lot of toxic mushrooms. But even some of the ones that are toxic just as in herbalism you know if you take too much uh, digitalis or you know um, the uh, uh, mayapple, you know it can be toxic but in smaller doses it can be very healing so right. in the same respect mushrooms have that same um, capability.
0: Yes. When I'm working with clients where I find parasites and I'm considering how to formulate a custom tincture, I know that these people are potentially brewing cancer uh, because you can have parasites without cancer, but not cancer without parasites. So I don't use the C word because I believe Anyone can reverse the acidic condition, the acidic tissue state that brings in these parasites, which is a state of toxicity. Um, and in these people, I often choose turkey tail as part of their protocol.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I There are so many mushrooms. and um, And I... At the end of the talk, I'll talk a little bit about a couple of books that I really love that I think, you know, especially for anybody who's interested in medicinal mushrooms, they should probably think about having in their um, their library. But I, I agree. I think that, um, you know, and and it's not to say that any one mushroom, you know, there's a lot of different mushrooms that have anti-cancer properties, Um Some of them, um, you know, you can do in combination, Um, because different mushrooms, actually, and um, one of the people that I'll um, reference is uh, Paul Stamets, and Paul Stamets, um, and, you know, there are a lot of um, other people out there who are doing medicinal uh, mushrooms. He, and I'm not going to recommend one over the other, but I do want to say that he has a couple of really good um, references and even just um, he he has a line called Host Defense Mushrooms. But it, um, in one of his little booklets that you can pick up for free at you know any of the places that usually sell his host defense, he talks a little bit about the different um, mushrooms and how they also will often have a herbal um, counterpart. So, for instance, um, rishi which he'll also mention that that'll have a hawthorn or a litharo, uh, uh, you know, will also be similar or lion's mane will also have ginkgo. So there are, uh, in our environment, we have many different um, uh, herbal things. So sometimes even combining the mushroom with the herbal will, will be a wonderful way to um, strengthen those properties. So going back, I'm going to talk a little bit about the long history of um, mushroom use, um, and also how you know many people sort of have this idea that things like psilocybin and things that have had psychedelic um, properties. Um, we have sort of this um, culture of you know the use of some of these in shamanic uh, journeying and um, in the um, Native American traditions and things like that. And one of the things I just wanted to say is, um, you know, how in the Italian Alps, in the frozen body of Atzi, um when they looked at his um, tool belt, he had a, a mushroom that he was carrying with him. Um, in our Native American tradition, a lot of times, um, the Native Americans would have in their medicine bag a, um, you know, a little piece of shaga, uh, which they would use for either putting, on you know, the powder on a cut, which helped to bind the cut. It also helped to, as an antibiotic, and they also used it as a fire starter. So, they would carry it with them um, as they were going, um, you know, from place to place, and it they could then take that um ember and then start a new fire so they wouldn't always have to start from scratch so and and chinese medicine um has just thousands of years of of history of using medicinal mushrooms so you know we we have this long connection with um, mushrooms. The other thing anecdotally um, that was, I think was a very interesting concept um, and a few speakers um, in the past have talked about this, of how we as a, as a spiritual being, our religion and our um, evolution of our brains may have actually been because we were hunters and gatherers, and we would follow the herds and as we followed the herds, we were collecting um, the psilocybin mushroom that was in the dung of you know these these animals that uh, were eating you know, grasses, they were defecating, and then the mushrooms were growing out of their uh, poop. And so we, um, we don't know that for sure. That's totally anecdotal, but it's kind of an interesting idea of how we may have evolved and how our, our thoughts and our religions and you know, we're basically, you know, from these eating these psychedelic mushrooms over time. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and another anecdotal thing is this idea of, um, you know, eating things like cordyceps in the Tibetan highlands, where people who have evolved to live at these high altitudes where there's very little oxygen, um, and yet they, they thrive. And when you look at the idea of, of cordyceps and stuff and how we're using them now as this idea of, um, you know, they increase the oxygen level in our blood. So a lot of athletes are using them as, you know, an enhancement for their, um, you know, as they're becoming more athletic. They're, um, you know, we, these cultures have maybe evolved by eating these. So this is where that idea of, you know, the medicinal and how we've evolved alongside mushrooms for generations and eons. um, And now we've sort of lost that. Um, you know, and now we're just starting to regain that knowledge again, is is really crucial, I think.
0: Yeah, I think we're understanding that pharmaceuticals can only take us so far in the human body. And we need to look again at what nature has in store all around us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I'm just, you know, and I'm not like i said i'm not a mycologist and so i don't have you know the the knowledge of all of the chemicals and the you know how these mushrooms work but i do just find it so fascinating that you know my my grandparents came from germany and they were mushroom hunters and foragers and I, one of the things that i i like to encourage people to do is if you have a local mycological group um you know, like the Wisconsin Mycological Society or here in Madison we have one, um, to go out with them and to start, you know, to, and it's a wonderful activity for children, too, because children, they're closer to the ground, they're, they're, they have great ability to see these mushrooms and they get very excited when they find something like that. And then you can learn about, you know, whether they're safe to eat or, you know, or not um, through these groups. So, I highly recommend that, you know, people who are interested in mushrooms, you know, get involved in some of your local mycological groups.
0: And that's a great idea. You and your husband offer classes at your homestead. And I took one last year where we inoculated logs with shiitake. And it was so wonderful to have had that experience hands-on in nature with these mycelium. and just getting an appreciation for what they can offer us. So what are some reasons to grow your own mushrooms and how do you do that?
1: Well, I I like to grow my own mushrooms because then I know what I'm getting. I know that, um, you know, and I can, you know, just just as a gardener, um, you know, who wants to be able to eat their own tomatoes or what you know, or kale or, you know, and, and feel like they... They are growing their own food. Mushrooms are another easy easy thing to grow, especially if you have a shady garden and you can't grow, you know, good tomatoes or, or things like that. So if you have a, a north side of a house or things like that, you can be growing um, wine cap in your garden beds you know you just put down some um, spawn and some mulch and um, you know within three or four months you can be growing you know beautiful wine caps or in our case we grow um, on logs and we're growing shiitakes and so we know what we're growing we you know can watch them and really see the mycelium you know growing in the logs so it's really a fascinating way to sort of add another element to your garden um, and for wine cap or agaricus things that grow alongside you know in the heat of the summer it's also helping to make your uh, plants healthier too so uh, Garicus, um, almond agaricus is one that is commonly grown alongside tomatoes. So, you know, it's a win win. You have your tomatoes and you have your mushrooms. So, you're, you're having a lot of different foods that you could be eating. So,
0: this is how people can become self sustainable and self sufficient, especially going into the future with uh, unknown and unpredictable weather conditions, growing conditions. Can always grow mushrooms, so once you do grow these mushrooms, how do you preserve them or cook them and eat them
1: so yeah it's very important to always cook your mushrooms um, some mushrooms you know like morels, you actually want to um, decant um, a couple of times because one of the things I always tell people people are Always so crazy about morels, and morels come up for a couple of weeks in the spring, and they're wonderful. But as with all things, um, they are something that you don't want to eat a whole lot of um, because they are—they do have um, certain properties that can be, you know, you can develop some toxicity to over time. So eat them sparingly. Um, Other mushrooms you can eat more often some people are sensitive to honey mushroom. So one of the things I always say is if you've never eaten a mushroom, a certain mushroom before, um, you can take the fresh mushroom and actually put it on, um, you know, rub it a little bit on your forearm and then wait about 20 minutes and see if you have a reaction to it. But one of the things is to put boiling water on it, decant the water, and then do it again. And then that a lot of times will take some of that those properties that people are sensitive to away. And that's something you should do with um, morels or even false morels. You can eat false morels, but um, again, that's one that you want to be more careful of because it does have, it can make some people sick. So um, So always cook your mushrooms because the chitin that, gives the mushroom its structure is the same thing that is the, like the shell of a shrimp it gives you know the protection and you want to be able to break that down you also want to break down some of the properties in the mushroom that make it more bioavailable to us so um so that's just one of those safety precautions that uh, you know I always recommend and again if you're foraging make sure that you are a hundred percent sure of what you're eating because 99% is not good enough <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that we grow our mushrooms because we want to make sure that we know um, I'm not a forager per se I have a lot of friends that are that I trust um, but I am not so I'm a farmer and that's one of the reasons that I do farm because I know what I'm I'm getting I have a smaller repertoire of mushrooms, but I do, um, I'm 100% sure of what I'm getting. The other thing, uh, so, so there are some powerful things in mushrooms, um, and I just wanted to kind of mention um, one of the reasons that mushrooms are so um, good. Let's see, um, here's, here's a quick list, um, and I'm not you know, I won't go into a lot of detail, but these are um, the complex polysaccharides, which are, act as immunomodulators. There's beta glucans like lentinan, and um, which is an important immunopotentiator. There's terpenoids; these are anti-infectious and anti-inflammatory activities that mushrooms provide. They tend to be prebiotic, so for people who have do have digestive issues. They're great. Um, The alkaloids, the flavonoids, the saponins, the tannins, the anthroquo... And I'm not going to say this right. (laughs) anthraquanones and steroids. And I apologize. That's a long word. But these are the things that, you know, are what make the mushrooms powerful, but they also are what can sometimes make them a little on the toxic side. But these are The things that are, from a medicinal perspective, are, you know, crucial. There's also the dietary um, antioxidants that are high in vitamin C, vitamin A, selenium, beta carotene. um, And then they're also high in vitamins B and D. And one of the things that I recommend anybody do, even when you buy the mushrooms in the store, um, they haven't been exposed to the sun and so because they've been sitting in the store for a while uh, take your mushrooms before you cook them and leave them in the sun for about an hour and they you will increase the vitamin D um, in those mushrooms they're a, they're one of the best natural sources of vitamin d um, and then of course, as I mentioned before, because of the fact that they have those enzymes and they're breaking down minerals in the soil they're high in a lots of different minerals like selenium and magnesium and things like that so that's just a quick rundown of some of the powerful medicinal properties of mushrooms and why i highly recommend them as a you know as an eat your medicine kind of a a food
0: that's wonderful you really do cover a lot of ground, uh, just like your mycelium do. <laughs> you're you're a great educator on mushrooms, so passionate. And I like to know which mushrooms you're most passionate about and why.
1: Boy, um, mm-hmm. well, I I have a lot of mushrooms that I'm passionate about, okay, well, so, one of the things, so my husband is a diabetic, and so that's one of the main reasons that we love shiitake mushrooms. Shiitake mushrooms are a wonderful uh, mushroom uh, for the liver and for people who are diabetic. Um, lion's mane. Um, if I had one mushroom, especially as I'm getting older, I'm 60 now, and I have an ant that has um, Alzheimer's and so I love Lion's Mane. Lion's Mane is one of those that uh, can r- help rebuild neural pathways. It's wonderful for people who have had a, a stroke. It's wonderful for people who have had um, concussions, um, so any brain injury. Um, it And also for things like um, multiple sclerosis and other nerve um, problems, it can help rebuild uh, the neural sheaths um, that protect um, your nerves. So, and like I said, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to say, you know, eat this and you will be cured, um, cause I don't want to get into that, but it is one of those mushrooms that has shown wonderful, um, potentiation for helping anything with nerves, and our brain is a, is basically a big neural net, and so, and it does, um, my, the, lion's mane does pass through the, that, um, brain blood barrier. The, the thing that also with, um, Lion's mane, and this is another thing that um, Paul Stamets has been doing a lot of research on. He, when you are buying from, you know, a producer, you know, and, or buying a capsule, you want to make sure that, um, you know, you're getting a good quality. Um, supplement and one of the things about my the lion's mane is that what he does and he recommends is he actually uses the mycelium as well as the fruit so the fruiting body has some properties but the mycelium in a lot of the mushrooms will have even stronger um, properties. So getting, you know, so doing a little bit of research before you buy your supplements is really important to make sure that you're getting the best possible supplement. And, um, you know, and that's one of the things to consider with lion's mane. I love maitake. Maitake is uh, one that you can find in nature. And, you know, it's basically um, the hen of the woods. Uh, chicken of the woods is another one that, you know, pe- one is you know yellow and the other is kind of a brown nondescript. Um, and this one is, again, really important for uh, blood sugars and digestion. So it also has anti-cancer properties. Um, there's so many polypore mushrooms. And we didn't talk about polypore. Polypores are the woody mushrooms. Turkey tail is one. Um, agarican is another one. The um, Rishi mushroom is another polypore. Um, and these are not ones that you would eat. These are ones that you would either make a tea out of or you would grind up um, and um, take as a capsule. So, um, and these are These are really, really powerful mushrooms. Reishi is one of those that if you really can't do or if you're not interested in doing a lot of different varieties, reishi is one of those all-around mushrooms that um, will help just your immune system. It's a great anti-cancer. It's probably the most researched mushroom of a lot of them um, because, you know, it's been used in China for centuries or millennia I should say, not centuries, millennia. Um, the other mushroom that is also a polypore is shaga. And shaga is one that we have here in the north. It grows on uh, birch. And it's one that, you know, if, if you're gonna harvest anything, to, this is one of those where you wanna talk about um, sustainably harvesting. You don't wanna take the whole Uh, mushroom, you want to just take a part of the mushroom and let the mushroom sort of keep growing. Uh, Shaga is uh, very, very slow growing, and it um, basically is um, absorbing a lot of the sugars from the tree, and so the Native Americans would, you know, take some of this and make a tea out of it, and it would um, sustain them. So it is, and shaga is another one of those very all-round, wonderful um, medicinal mushrooms.
0: That is great information. You know, I have a friend who makes tinctures for me, uh, reishi, and most recently, turkey tail. And I find that I've, I've come to crave reishi. And I don't know why. I think everyone may resonate with one or two mushrooms at any given time. So I would recommend that people try these mushrooms um, as tinctures in cooking or as teas uh, from reputable sources and see what feels good to you because these are all immune boosters. And we're always inundated now with chemicals in our air, our food and our water And it's so beneficial to add mushrooms to your repertoire. I agree with you. The more you can incorporate mushrooms into your life, the better. These are beautiful medicinals.
1: Yeah. And one of the things, you know, so, you know, you mentioned about the fact that I grow mushrooms. And one of the things to consider if you do become a forager is to make sure that where you're foraging is clean. You don't want to, you know, Forage mushrooms in an area that's had you know like along roadsides that has a lot of salt and a lot of um, you know chemicals from the roads you know just like you don't you know when you're collecting herbs you want to make sure that where you're collecting your herbs is is clean um, so you know that's just something to consider as well especially because you know the mushrooms will um, bioaccumulate and and absorb and break down these um, you know, these toxic chemicals. So it's just something to, to be aware of, um, you know, as you're, as you're foraging.
0: Could you list some of the basic tools of a forager?
1: Sure. So when you're going out to forage, well, first of all, let me, you know, again, say that, you know, getting involved with a group is is really wonderful because they'll they'll go out, you know, to certain areas and, you know, you'll have people who can help you learn to identify uh, different things like that. But, um, you know, it's important to have... um, You know, a good backpack with, um, you know, and nowadays, you know, most people have a cell phone, so the cell phone, you know, will usually have a GPS on it or things like that so that, you know, in case you're, as you're walking through the woods, you don't want to get lost. Um, A good sharp knife. Um, a good bag um, to put your mushrooms in. And what I like to do is I like to have paper bags, um, you know, like sandwich bags, so that as I collect different mushrooms, I am collecting and putting them in the bag and writing down, you know, maybe where I collected it. It's good to have um, a good, Uh, field guide with you. Um, It's important when you're, um, when you are collecting to kind of notice where you collected the mushrooms. So a lot of times if, you know, different mushrooms have different Substrates that they like to grow on, like oyster mushrooms, love to grow on elm trees. Um, So, you would want to make a notation that you did collect that on an elm tree or some other tree. So, you know, getting familiar with your trees um, is a good idea as well. Um, The other thing that you would want is a flashlight. Um, You might want to have good bug spray with you because, you know, mushrooms grow in the woods and you want to be able to. Make sure that you don't, uh, you know, don't get, you know, chased out of the woods by bugs. Um, Clipboard, you want to wear good field clothes because you're going to be, you know, possibly going through brambles and things like that. And that's really about all you need. So, you know, and all of that fits really nicely into a backpack. So, yeah.
0: Thank you so much. Great information. And it really speaks to getting people outside and back to nature. It's, it's time to unplug that computer and turn off the podcast and go outside.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is one of the things um – I, I love about foraging is that you really start to develop an eye for the forest. You start to look at the forest in a totally different way. Um, you're looking at, you know, the leaf litter, you're looking at, you know, you're, you're maybe seeing different bugs that you would normally not see. You're seeing how nature really um, interacts with itself, and I think that's really powerful. The other thing is, you know, there's different times to go out Um, you know in the spring you're going to collect different things than you might collect in the fall Um, you know mushrooms again like it moist so um, you know after a rain especially after a thunderstorm is a great time because I when we grow our mushrooms my husband calls it the Frankenstein effect you know he will a lot of times drop the log to give it a jolt a little slight. Electric or mechanical current that runs through the log, but that also is true for the mushrooms in nature. So, when there's a a thunderstorm with lightning, that tends to sort of jolt the mushrooms into production. So, that's a good time after that to go out into the woods and see if you can find mushrooms.
0: So inspiring. I'm gonna look up my local mycological society and make some new friends and get involved. Ingrid, thank you. Uh, how do people get in touch with you if they want more specific information?
1: Well, they can they can probably Google um, Misty Dawn Farms if they'd like to. Otherwise, um, my email um, is iwest at chickenhollow.com. And I'm always um, open. I get a lot of calls um, because I'm still on the shiitake growers um, website. I used to be the president of the Shiitake Growers Association. Um, I'm retired now, but I'm still a volunteer because I mentor new growers. So, um, you know, I'm always interested in helping people learn more about how to grow mushrooms. I do workshops on, you know, know, the whole thing about permaculture and how to grow mushrooms in your garden. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of really good resources out there. Um, oh, and I did mention that I would mention a few books. So um, one of the, the Bibles of, um, that I really love is called The Fungal Pharmacy. It's written by Robert Rogers. It's wonderful because it not only talks about, you know, the medicinal properties, but it also talks about traditional uses, the cultural folklore of that mushroom. And it is, um, it's sort of the Bible. And I, if, if I, you can just buy one book that you're really interested in, um, the medicinal properties of mushrooms, that one is the one that I just love. If you're just interested in a little bit of um, learning more about um, mushrooms, healing mushrooms is another great one, and this one is um, written by Taro Isocapilla. It's um, on Four Sigma's website, and it's a really nice little um, little book. Um, there's a Oh, Daniel Winkler and Robert Rogers do at what they call a field guide to medicinal mushrooms. It's one of those plastic little uh, folded things that you could put in your backpack. You don't have to carry much with you. It's a really nice overview of a lot of the medicinal mushrooms. Um, let's see. Uh, Shaga, the king of the medicinal mushrooms by David Wolf is one that. Focuses just on shaga. And uh, Paul Stamets has written a couple of books. Um, Michael Medicinals is one, and um, he has another one that's a little more intense, but growing gourmet and medicinal mushrooms. So, from the standpoint of just medicinals, those are my favorites. I also recommend if you want to um, go out and do some, um, f- the field guide. Um, the Audubon Field Guide is a great one, and then there's a small one that's written on uh, Mushrooms of the Upper Midwest. It's a simple guide to the common mushrooms of the Midwest, and that's a nice small little um, field guide that you can put in your backpack. So those are some of the books that um, you know, just from the starting starting point, that I think are great. If you want um, websites. Uh, The shiitake growers website um, is one. And there's also, um, if you're interested in being a grower, uh, field and forest. If you just Google that, it's great. Uh, Radical mycology is one where it really talks. And that's, he writes a book. It's kind of pricey, but it's sort of like the... Like a Bible, <laughs> it's it's really big and it's it it really you know it has a lot of information on it. And then of course the um, fungi perfecti is another one, and that's Paul Stamets' is group. And you, a lot of them have catalogs that you can um, make requests on. You can just go to their websites, request their catalog, and uh, they'll send you something for free, and you can, you can get involved in that. So those, those are sort of the, the basics of some of the resources that are out there.
0: Wow, I can see that I need to expand my mycelium library after talking to you. And anything with the word radical in it is a book for me.
1: <laughs> and he he does offer he he did a, a GoFundMe kind of Kickstarter program to start a a my mycological college where you know he he offers online training classes. Um, Paul Stamets also offers classes and stuff, but I think he has a two-year waiting list. So it's, uh, yeah, you have to get on there early and be patient.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Ingrid. You are a wealth of information. Thank you for sharing your experience and your knowledge and your wisdom.
1: Well, you're welcome. I hope that, like I said at the beginning of this talk, that um, I hope I've changed people from being mycophobes to mycophiles.
0: (laughs) I think you've done that very well. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Now, a note to my listeners... I'm going to be taking a little sabbatical from the podcasting platform, but I will continue writing blogs and articles for you. And so find me at my website at natureofhealing.org. You can also pick up my books, The Nature of Healing, Heal the Body, Heal the Planet, and Free Your Voice, Heal Your Thyroid, Reverse Thyroid Disease Naturally, or consult with me for a custom protocol for self-healing. Until next time, healers, lots of love and gratitude.
1: Visit or consult with Roseanne Lindsay, naturopath, at natureofhealing.org, where you can find her books at her website and at amazon.com.